at 10 to 15 miles an hour, you can really take the time to notice the wildlife around you, the, the birds in the water or the seals or sea lions or the whales off coast. You know, if you're driving by in your car at 50 or 60 miles an hour or faster, um, you're not going to see any of that. You're not going to hear it. Episode 329, Cycling the Pacific Coast with Bill Thornness. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by Action Heat. Action Heat makes the world's best heated clothing. Powered by rechargeable batteries, it's the perfect way to stay warm. Save 15% off your order when you go to action-heat.com adventure. That's action-heat.com adventure. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hello, friends. Thank you again for listening into the show today. Kurt here. I have a great guest today, Bill Thornness, who's an avid cyclist who has written two books on cycling in the West Coast and in the Pacific Northwest. And Bill is here to talk to us about cycling today. I'm excited to uh, dive into more of the details about what makes this such a healthy and great adventure sport. Uh, Bill's in the Seattle area. He started biking back in the 80s. He's a recreational cyclist who leads rides for the local bike club there. And he's done bike commuting. He's done road cycling. He's done bike camping. Bill, welcome to the program. Hi, Kurt. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you bet. Glad to have you, man. So, cycling. Before we hit record here, we started talking about how there's a lot of variation. Um, there's there's road biking, which entails one thing. There's road racing. There's there's uh, bike camping. There's bike touring. Why don't we start out just by kind of cleaning that up a little bit? What are the distinctives about cycling? Well, yeah. I, and, of course, there's mountain biking and there's commuting and um, there's a lot of different gear out there as well. So, I mean, if you have a standard road bike, it might, you might've focused on it being lightweight and, uh, not a lot of extra gear on it because you want to go fast. You want to get where you're going. You want to race with your buddies or get in the Peloton or, you know, get out for a, um, a spin that is re really great exercise and, accommodates your time constraint or whatever, you know, so that that's the kind of bike that um, might be carbon fiber, or might be a lightweight um, bike without fenders, without racks, um, high speed. But a touring bike, a bike used for bike camping or bike travel or, or cycle touring, um, it's kind of like the sport utility bike, you know, you sort of load it down. I mean, when I'm loaded down for, uh, going on a bike camping excursion or going down the coast, like I did for my new book on the Pacific coast, um, I've got 35 pounds of gear on my bike and that's in four panniers, two on the back, two on the front. So I've got two racks, one over each tire and a little handlebar bag that's got my, essential, you know, things like my, uh, my camera, my ID and money and things like that, things I want to keep with me when I get off the bike, I put in that little handlebar bag. So all of that adds up. And then I've got a, on the back rack, generally I would strap down my tent. So 
I've got everything I need on my bike for self-supported travel, mm. which is very freeing. <laughs> so how heavy is yeah. the full kit there? Well, it's, you know, it's 35 pounds of gear approximately. And I, I focus on traveling light. So that's pretty light compared to some people. I've seen people with, uh, you know, canned food and <laughs> bags of right. rice and beans and, you know, really, if you're going to be going really in the back country, those kind of things might be necessary, a, a big jar of peanut butter or something, but I don't travel with much food and uh, that lightens it up a lot or a lot of, a lot of cooking gear. Well, let's talk about the bike itself a little bit. Back in the day, and I'm going way back here, Bill, I already told you that I did most of my um, road cycling <clears throat> back when I was uh, just a young teen. So we're talking about a long time ago now. But the the favorite material for bikes then was chromoly. Double-butted chromoly tubing was the thing. And for touring bikes, they had a little bit slacker suspension that would absorb the bumps a little bit more, and they were a little bit heavier duty so that they could handle the extra weight that you would load them up with. What are people riding today? Well, you know, I should... A caveat, a caveat here is that I am not a super technical cyclist, um, so uh, I couldn't get into the the details of a lot of the frame building and things like that. However, I ride a steel bike, uh, Rodriguez, made here in Seattle, and they do a lot of touring bikes. Mine's My model is called the UTB, the Ultimate Touring Bike, and they're really focused on that. And there are a few other brands that are focused on that as well. So a lightweight steel bike, which might be 25, 26 pounds like mine is. Um, Surly makes one. You see the long haul trucker by Surly out on the road a lot. Um, Davidson. Uh, there are a number of brands that, are, uh, that have a touring bike in their ensemble. Trek has a couple of them. So um, lightweight steel or... The thing about the the um, carbon fiber bikes is you can't attach racks to the you can't put brazons on carbon fiber and attach racks to it. So it it's a little bit more difficult to use that kind of bike for loading down. Mm. Okay, well we kind of dived right into the gear, and I did that on yeah, purpose. Right. <laughs> I wanted people to get a feel for the distinction between the different types of road riding, and so. What you're talking about in your book and what you're uh, promoting here really is touring with bikes, with your gear and, and having that house on your back like a turtle sort of a thing, and so that you are self-supported and able to go wherever you want to go. And that sounds like a Boy, blast. That That is the most freeing, empowering thing, Kurt. You know, there's a lot of detail to researching this book, Cycling the Pacific Coast is the name of the book. Um, just came out from Mountaineers Books. And there's, I'd spent over two years researching it and doing a lot of trips down the coast, sections at a time. But I'd get out there with you know, all my gear and I'm going to San Francisco on my own power. There's nobody, I don't need anybody else to get me there except perhaps to sell me food and let me camp. Um, I've got my, my gear, my pedal power. All I need to do is fuel up my body so that I can keep going down the road and, and keep my chain lubed. Mm. So you kind of have to 
I guess, appreciate the minimalist approach. It's kind of like backpacking. You can't take everything with you, but you're going to take the essentials. Is that part of what makes it so liberating for you? Yeah, yeah, it is really. And some people do take a lot more than I than I take. But uh, and you'll see people pulling trailers, and they'll have. Uh, I ran into a couple of Swedish guys. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty cool guys. They had been in Canada before I ran into them in Northern California. And um, young guys, super strong. They had a giant tent. I was joking like, uh, hey, where's the sauna in here? Because it was just huge. And they both slept in there and had an anti-room and stuff. But <laughs> they were they were carrying mountaineering gear. They had ropes and, you know, all the stuff that you needed to climb as well in one of the bikes had a trailer. So, I mean, people do do that. I, I rode with another guy, a, a young guy from France who is a, he's a, a postman in Grenoble, France. And he um, had his skateboard with him. So we parted ways in San Francisco and he was going to go skating. He, he met some friends online. He was going to couch surf with them and, and hit the skate parks. You know, so people do a lot of different things. I like to just be a tourist on my bike. That's kind of my my focus and enjoy the enjoy the ride. I'm glad you said it that way. I would like to get your perspective on why biking, bike touring like you're doing is a great way to see an area, to travel, to to spend time on a vacation. Why would you choose to do a bike over other modes? Well, the speed and the exposure to the to the elements and to your surroundings. You know, at 10 to 15 miles an hour, you can really take the time to notice the wildlife around you, the the birds in the water or the seals or sea lions or the whales off coast. You know, if you're driving by in your car at 50 or 60 miles an hour or faster, um, you're not going to see any of that. You're not going to hear it. Um, I, I, I've been, in, you know, climbing uh, a cape in on the coast of Oregon, and I found out that cape is another four-letter word for hill. <laughs> so you're climbing the cape, uh, climbing one of these capes, and there's the fog has rolled in. I'm just focused on this pretty giant climb right after I got up and got out of my, my campground at Cape Lookout. Um, and it's a couple hour climb through the woods, but the ocean is right next to me. And because the fog had come down so low that it was kind of hanging over the trees and the, and the road, I heard the seals in the water barking. And, you know, you just, that's, the first thing in the morning, get a little coffee in you and then go out and experience something like that. You know, uh, that's the difference. And, you know, camp, uh, hiking and backpacking is great, but you can get a lot farther down the road on a bike. <laughs> right. Well, we've had previous guests who've talked about bike touring and just gone on and on about how it, it is, you know, the best way to travel. And, Different people have different opinions, but I have never heard someone say that it's a lousy way to travel. It sounds to me like it's a, a nice balance between being able to cover the distance and still really experience where you really are. Yeah, yeah, that, that really sums it up. Mm. So 
how good a shape do you have to be in? I mean, you talked about 35 pounds worth of gear, and it sounds like your bike is, is uh, by the time you add it all up, you're going to be pushing 60 pounds, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, um, I'm in my mid-50s. Well, okay, a little beyond the mid-50s. Um, I've been an active recreational cyclist over the years. I'm not an athlete. Uh, I carry a little bit too much weight, my own weight, and um, I like to have a good microbrew along the way. Uh, I think I'm probably typical of the people I've met out on the coast cycling in that most people aren't athletes. Um, the athletes are great. They're so much fun to run into and then, you know, wave at them as they go by. Um, and they're inspirational as well. But for a regular person going out there, I, I think trying it out with short trips where you can, you know, take your bike out 20 miles to a, a park outside of your town that has a campground and camp for the night and then get up the next day and ride back. You know, try that. If you can go 40 to 50 miles with the gear and do that for two or three days in a row, um, you're, you're probably in good enough shape to try bike travel, to try cycle camping and bike travel. And you do get into shape as you go. A lot of people will say that. That's, that's not just been my experience, which it is. But a lot of people will say, you know, a week or two into it, you are in much better shape. Your body adjusts to the needs of getting back on the bike every day and, and hauling that load up the next cape. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's something that is not exclusive to just people who are really in good shape. Mm. What about traffic, dealing with cars? And I, that's one of the questions yeah. that people must have if they've not done it oh, before. Yeah. yeah, that is really the biggest problem is I talk to people about, man, you should go down the Oregon coast. It is incredible. And they say, yeah, but you're on the highway, right? You're on the road. Well, yes. I mean, it's not like you're on the edge of a freeway where the cars are zooming by in multiple lanes uh, you know, at freeway speeds, but you are out there with a lot of the recreational vehicles, you know, the big boxy things, I call them uh, land yachts. I mean, you're out there with those guys, you're out there with logging trucks and delivery trucks and a lot of tourists in rental cars who might be looking at their phone or their map or texting or who knows what they're doing in there. Um, but, and you know, you, you have to be able to get used to that kind of traffic that is comes and goes. Uh, you, you'll see that anywhere that you really want to want to do a long haul cycling trip. And especially, I mean, the Pacific Coast is no exception to that. It's out there. You know, Bill, I did a show several episodes back where the main thrust of the show was to try to sort out a way, a metric to measure how dangerous adventure sports are. And in mm -hmm. that show, I took a variety of adventure sports and looked up the statistics that I could find about people that had died or been injured, you know, that sort of thing. And then I compared yeah. it to um, the odds of you uh, dying in a car crash just living in the United States. And mm -hmm. it turns out, believe it or not, it sounds crazy, but it's true. It turns out that uh, cycling on the road, like you're 
like you're talking about, is far, far less dangerous than being in a car. Well, that doesn't surprise me. You know, most of the people I see, I see out cycling um, are getting where they're going without incident. Right. Um, and I think if you're doing cycle touring, you're not the aggressive sort, generally speaking. Uh, it, aggressive cyclists in a city, for instance, like I'm in Seattle where we have a lot of uh, intense traffic, um, you, you're going to take more risks. You're going to take more chances. But when you're out on long-haul cycling trip, you, you're there for a different reason, um, and it doesn't seem to be um, that you're going to conquer the traffic. <laughs> you right. know, you're going to move with the traffic. And, and honestly, um, I, I know very few people who have had problems you know, interacting with traffic. I, I, I was cycling with one woman once who got hit by uh, an RV. The um, old folks who were driving it were not aware of their surroundings enough. They made a really sharp right turn right in front of her. She's riding down the highway. She was very badly bruised. She had to stop cycling for a couple of days and rest up. She did get back on her bike and finish the tour. And, you know, you just have to be hyper aware of that kind of potential situation. Right. I brought it up because a lot of our listeners who don't know about it might think that that's really a, a pretty serious danger. And granted, it is yeah. the danger to worry about, but it's actually safer than driving to work in your car based on the statistics. That so. is really great to have those statistics. I, I, the other thing that people always ask about, they say, you know, but the road is so narrow. And it and it is. I mean, and I don't want to pull any punches on the conditions on the road. Um, a lot of the coast roads are two lane roads with no shoulder or a shoulder that disappears just when you need it the most. <laughs> like <laughs> right. when you're climbing a big hill with a drop off on one side and a hillside on the other side where there's no way for the cars to go around you. Um, if there's oncoming traffic, they just have to wait as you climb that hill at maybe eight miles an hour. So, you know, you get used to that. And the, the great thing about it is people who are out on the coast in their cars, by and large, are pretty respectful of cyclists. And they understand the speed and the, the pace and the needs that, that we have while we're out there. So I am take pains to be super courteous to drivers who have been that way to me waving and and thanking them pulling over if i'm really if i've got a spot where i can pull over and let the traffic go by um but i still get in my 50 miles a day and i can soak my feet in the ocean at the beach you know by late afternoon mm. so uh, we all get there i, I think most people are out there, they're smiling when they're on their bikes. You know, the traffic, once you get used to it, is not, is not a deciding factor. Bill, biking was probably my, I'm going to call it my second or third adventure sport. I mean, I did some motorcycling and some, some water skiing and things like that prior to biking. But biking was the first time I actually got together with a group of people that enjoyed the same adventure sport. And I have to say, I was overwhelmed with how great the people were. 
Um, I don't yeah. know if it's that great people choose biking or that biking makes people great. But whatever it is, when you get people that are touring around on bicycles together, it is such a beautiful community. I just I see people that are so vibrant and full of life and so interested in experiencing their world in this unique way. Um, what's been your experience with that? Oh, man, I completely agree. And my research for this book uh, spread out over a couple of years. I met so many people. It was like a little mini United Nations out there. Um, I would often go out riding on my own just because my wife is like, you know, you're going to stop and talk to everybody along the way and you're going <laughs> to re-ride this route six times and you're going to take 50 pictures every day. I can't take it. So, so I'm on my own. And every day I would meet somebody new to ride with. I mean, if you decide to go on long haul cycle by yourself, you won't be by yourself for long. <laughs> if you're doing it in a, on a popular route in good weather conditions, you run into people who are also out there. I just bike up to them. Hey, how's it going? Where are you from? Oh, Denmark, uh, Italy, France, England, Ireland, mm. Japan, uh, all over the world. I met a bunch of kids from India who were on an adventure trip. This is the, the pinnacle of their like outward bound experience. They did two or three trips in India and then they graduated from that to biking the West Coast from Seattle to San Francisco. And those kids are probably 14, most of them, 14, 15. And they were just the most fun to run into, you know, 30 Indian kids and like five adults nice. all camping and going down the coast. And um, the, I interviewed one of the kids and put a story in the book from him because he was just so well spoken about the uh, what his experiences were compared to what he got at home. You know, the mountains are so large, the the sky is so blue, the ocean is so clean and and expansive right there on the side of the road. Uh, you know, these are the kind of people that you meet that are inspirational to me. You know, grandmothers, uh, um, teenagers. That's it's just great. Hey, we have a new sponsor on the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm excited about this one. I've been wondering for a long time when active technology was going to be incorporated with clothing to do cool things. And here's an example. This is Action Heat. Action Heat is a line of clothing that actually weaves heating elements into the clothes. It works similarly to how a car seat is heated except that it runs off a little rechargeable battery pack. And this battery pack can last up to 12 hours on a charge. It can also recharge your cell phone or other devices, so it's multi-purpose. And they have all kinds of options here. Hats, they have jackets, they have shirts, they have socks, they have gloves, they even have undergarments like long johns. Man, they will keep you cozy from head to toe. I can see using this motorcycle riding, riding up the lift at the ski area, watching a ball game, anytime I need that little extra boost of heat, this stuff really fits the bill. So, Action Heat, you can get it at action-heat.com forward slash adventure. Please do use the forward slash adventure for two reasons. For one, that's how they know that you heard about them from us. For two, it saves you 15%. So how cool is that? Your holiday shopping is done. All you have to do is go to action-heat.com 
com forward slash adventure. While doing your holiday shopping this season, why don't you drop by our site at 180tech.com and pick up a camp stove for the adventurer on your list. The 180 Stove, 180 Flame, and Bearline Plus are all made right here in Colorado and sure to make your loved one a happy camper. It's a great excuse to treat yourself to something special as well. Visit us at www.180tack.com. bring up a really good point about all the different types of people from around the world and our show is listened to around the planet by people from all walks of life and a lot of them have never been to the west coast of the united states so let's fill them in what do you uh, what would you like to share what is the west coast like hello to people from throughout the world please come and visit us <laughs> uh, we love visitors well, you know, uh, the Pacific Northwest is full of trees. You'll be cycling along the ocean, but you'll also be cycling along a road that has giant evergreens lining both sides of the road. Um, there are a lot of islands. So I've got a couple of, of routes in the book that um, hop through the islands. We have big ferries that go between islands here from Vancouver, B.C. up to Vancouver Island and around the San Juan Islands in Washington State, and um, lots of island riding where you hop a ferry and then you and then you cycle down to the other end of the island and hop another ferry. Um, then when you get down to the Oregon coast, it's you're right along the water the whole time. Oregon did an amazing thing. They passed a law that the entire coast line up to the high water, high tide mark is public land. The entire 360 some miles of Oregon coast is public. So the campgrounds are numerous <laughs> and I put every one of them in the book. So you could stop at any one of them. Um, and, uh, and bike camping, by the way, is $5 a night. If wow. you show up at a campground with your bike that has bike camping, You'll camp with other cyclists in a kind of a corral, and they give you fire rings and picnic tables and and free showers in Oregon. Um, but that's and then Oregon is all along the coast. There are sea stacks, big hulking rocks out in the water that are getting bashed by the ocean waves. Um, and and then in southern Oregon, there are there are great st stretches of uh, uh, dunes, sand dunes. The um, Oregon coast has a, a national recreation area that is sand dunes that come up to the road from the highway or from the uh, ocean. Um, Northern California is very wooded, has the best trees in the world, to my knowledge. I'm sure there are better trees in some parts, but the giant redwood forests in Northern California are a destination that really has to be visited to be believed. Um, the trees are can be 250 to 300 feet tall and 2,000 years old. You just ride through there as slowly as possible, just tip your head back and just drink in this 
super oxygenated air. Um, and then when you get down south of San Francisco, uh, there's a little bit more wild coast, but then there's a lot of Southern California biking right along the road that's right along the, the warm ocean beaches with palm trees and uh, very warm uh, surfing and uh, swimming beaches. Um, and the weather is more consistently uh, hot and dry in the Southern California area, whereas Pacific Northwest and even into Northern California can be cool, can be, can be foggy, um, never really a lot of heat waves where you're, um, you're out in, uh, uh, weather that is, that is too hot to cycle in. Mm. So it's really varied. I mean, that whole 1850 miles along the coast, uh, you can get a little bit of everything. So if I were to grab my bike and my wife and her bike and our gear, and we decided we were going to do the ride that you just described, how much time do we need? Uh, great question. Another thing that people always ask. Um, well, the route in the book, if you were to do the entire route, 1,850 miles, at the pace that I recommend, which is about 40 to 50 miles a day, sometimes 25 and sometimes 65, but mostly 40 to 50 miles a day, you could do that route without taking any days off in 37 days. Uh, that means you would not have a bike breakdown. <laughs> you would not have a body breakdown. You would just bike right through. Um, I wouldn't recommend that at all. I would recommend uh, two months. Um, in two months, you can um, take one day off a week and just explore wherever you happen to be. Or you can take some of the side trips in my book, like the uh, the wine country tours in Central California, up the Russian River Valley, for instance, in Northern California, or the Willamette River Valley in Oregon, where they make the great Pinot Noir. Uh, you can take island tours. You can take city tours. You know, bike around San Francisco. When you get to San Francisco, take another day for that. So in two months, you could do the coast and really appreciate it and not feel rushed. Okay, so let's say that I only have two weeks. You know, that's your standard American way, right? So I only have two weeks. What should I do? Yeah. Uh, well, and I really address that, too, because a lot of people only have a week or two weeks. In two weeks, you could go from Vancouver, B.C. to Astoria, Oregon, on the north end of the Oregon coast, and include the San Juan Islands in Washington State and a side trip to Seattle, um, or you could take um, Brookings, Oregon, the southern edge of Oregon, to San Francisco and do Northern California in two weeks uh, with a side trip in the wine country and a trip of a city tour of San Francisco. Um, you could go from San Francisco to San Diego. So from you could do the southern half of California in two weeks. Um, or you could do the entire Pacific Northwest. You could do the Oregon coast. There are sections. And oh, another thing that I did, because I know that a lot of people will be doing this, is to give you the transit information in the book that tells you, how the hell do I get back to Portland if I'm going to go the Oregon coast and then I end up at this little town called Brookings on the California border? 
how do I get back there? And you can do it with a couple of buses and Amtrak. <laughs> so I give you the Amtrak stations and the trains and the airports and the, the routing for these various shorter trips that you could do. Wow, that's great. So you laid it all out in the book. So we might as well yeah. tell everybody how they can get the book. It's Cycling the Pacific Coast, The Complete Guide from Canada to Mexico by Bill Thornness, published yes. by Mountaineers Books. Where do people find it? You can certainly find it on Amazon.com. Um, uh, your local bookstores, you can order any book through a local bookstore, and they will bring it in for you, and then you can support them. There's a service called IndieBound online, I-N-D-Y-B-O-U-N-D.com, that is run by the local bookstores, so you can order it through them, and they'll deliver it to your local bookstore. Um, and of course, the Mountaineers books also has, uh, you can buy straight off their website, mountaineersbooks.org. Mm, this sounds great. Well, let's dive into the sport itself a little bit, Bill. Let's assume that somebody's hearing this show right now and they're saying, I have never done that. And you know, that's an itch that I need to scratch. How do I get started? <clears throat> well, you know, the Adventure Cycling Association, they're based in Missoula, Montana, and they provide all the details, the information on how to, how to pack your bike, um, where to get the gear, uh, where the routes are. They, they have route, they have 31 routes, uh, throughout the U S that they create maps for. So they have a five map set for, for the Pacific coast, which is their most popular ride of their 31 rides in the U S but they also have Transamerica rides and they have shorter loops and rides in different parts of the country. So they would be a great resource to start with adventurecycling.org. And then, uh, you know, just like I mentioned earlier, just try out your gear, load down your camping gear on your bike in some way, shape or form and strap it down and go out to a local park and just try one for the weekend and see if you like it. What's the essential gear that they, they need to have? Stuff like a bike helmet, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, so for the bike, you need a, a basic um, kit of bike maintenance things like uh, a bike pump, um, extra tubes if you get a flat tire, um, the gear to be able to take that tube out and put the new one in. Uh, maybe uh, you carry along a, a multi-tool, it's called, which has, you can tighten things up on your bike with that. Um, and then you go to a bike, sh a, a good bike shop before you leave and have them check out your bike to make sure it's ready for the road. And they'll tell you whatever else you'd, you'd need. Um, yeah, I certainly recommend a helmet and gloves and cycling shorts that are padded um, and uh, cycling shoes that have a stiff bottom and maybe they have cleats or clips, but uh, at least a stiff bottom shoe to make your, your um, feet more comfortable over the long haul. Mm, okay. Well, if you get into the next step is camping. And um, so what I take for camping is a good lightweight, really shrinkable sleeping bag, uh, a tent with a rain fly. You really need a rain fly in the Pacific Northwest, by the way. <laughs> um, and uh, 
and waterproof panniers to put everything in, or you can get waterproof covers that strap onto the top of your pan, existing panniers. Uh, then in camp, I like to have a pair of camp shoes that maybe those maybe soft water shoes so you can pad around in those in the campground. Um, a jet boil so you can boil water. I, I usually have I have one pan, one cup, one one plate that are very lightweight and packable. And then I'll take freeze-dried food. A Mountain House is a really great brand that I use out of Oregon. Um, and I'll supplement that by stopping at the local farmer's market right before the campground or, or grocery store and getting fresh fruit and, um, you know, something like avocados and things that you can supplement the, the freeze-dried food with and then just boil water and heat it up for the, for the evening meal coffee and oatmeal for breakfast and uh keeping it very light in the in the the food and and drink department when you're climbing some of these big hills and you have your bike kind of loaded down like that then gears are going to be important um these days you know what's preferred gear wise if i were to go to a bike shop and say i'm going to tour and i'm going to be loaded up and i'm going up some hills then uh, what am I looking for? Yeah, you definitely don't want to do it on a fixie. <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, the the 21-speed or 27-speed or whatever the, 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 the triple chain ring gives you um, in your configuration, you really need those granny gears, a very small ring that, that uh, you can get into when you're in a long climb. Um, cause it, it, it does, you know, you, you're not working for speed necessarily. And s- sometimes you could even get off your bike and walk as fast as you're biking. Um, and some people do, and I see them on the side of the road and I'm thinking, you know, why not? If you need to walk it up, walk it up. Um, but I like to stay on the bike and, and get down into the low gears, um, if I need to. And then really good brakes because what goes up has to come back down. And when you're loaded down like that, you're, uh, you've got a lot of mass. And so stopping that on a windy downhill road to the coast is very important. So, um, really good brakes is a must. Mm. What about tips or tricks, things that you've learned cycling that you'd say, you know what, people don't think of this very much, but it really makes a difference. You know, I I like to have a little mascot with me, and I picked this up from some women that I was that I met on the road and were cycling with for a little while. Um, <laughs> this is this is not a, a technical tip at all, but um, I was biking up this long climb one day, and this woman was coming the other way, and she's coming down the hill, going northbound. And by the way. Most people bike southbound on the Pacific coast because of the prevailing winds. They'll be at your back Mm, when you go southbound. Very (laughs) good good tip. tip. So don't go northbound if you don't have to. But she was going northbound. And I waved at her as she's going by. And she yells back at me. She yells, have you seen my monkey? And I started (laughs) laughing. I said, a real monkey? And she said, no, no, it's it's a mascot. It's a small. And she kind of, you know, indicated it was a small thing. She had lost it, dropped it, and oh. uh, she was going back to look for it. It was very important to her. Martine was its name. So 
I said, I'll look for it, you know, and she kept going and I kept going. I mean, you don't want to stop when you're on, on an uphill climb, right? So uh, hard to get started again. So I'm looking in the shoulder all the way along and I find the sock monkey, Martine. So I pick it up and I figure, you know, she might miss it. She's going to turn around and come back. She might miss it. So I take it with me and her friend is waiting down the other side of the hill. So I meet her. I pull up and I said, are you missing this? And I pull out the sock monkey and she gets all excited. And pretty soon the other woman comes back and they are just so delighted to have this little mascot with them again. It's really important to have a little ritual and have, have some, something that makes you delighted, you know? Yeah. Um, in fact, we cycled together for a few days. They they presented me with a nice little mascot of my own, which uh, I carry with me on my rides now. Um, so it's, you know, they also did something else that was really fun. They had a little boombox. And every time they'd hit another 500 miles of their ride, they would get out and dance. And they'd crank <laughs> up the boombox. And they're on the road dancing. I have a picture in my slideshow that I do for this book that is all of us dancing in the road because, of course, I had to join. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the kind of thing uh, that you might not think of, but but it might really delight you if you get out there and, you know, take it with you. You know what's great about that is it's it's something to break up the monotony if there is monotony. But sometimes when you're out yeah. there cranking and cranking and cranking and cranking, you need something to look forward to. And uh, I, I think that's that's really fun. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I do not recommend cycling with headphones on because I really like to hear the road and the everything around me. I think it's much safer to not have music on headphones while you're biking. However, in camp, I always take my iPod with me and I have uh, a lot of music on there and. <laughs> In the morning, my my morning ritual is to wake up to the Beatles. So as I'm making breakfast and drinking my morning coffee, I'll be listening to the Beatles. And then I get out on the road, and my song, my climbing song was Obla Di Obla Da, Life Goes On. <laughs> and, you know, it'll cycle through my head, no pun intended, you know, maybe 50 times as I'm doing a long climb. But um, you got to have that kind of inspiration. Well, speaking of, what is cadence, and how does that help you? If it's a cold day, and it, it might be raining, <laughs> and it might be foggy, and you're getting wet, if you shift your uh, gears so that your pedaling is, is twice the cadence of you, you would normally need to ride this section, you'll actually warm up a lot more. Mm. And that's, that's a key way to stay warm when you're out there um, uh, on, on a cold day or when you've just started out for the day, you know, to warm up your muscles before you have to do a, a big climb or more difficult riding. So, I mean, I guess that's something a lot of people might not think of. Sure. Sure. Well, that there's a comfort place where you're, you're cranking the pedals at a certain RPM, right? And, yeah. uh, some people like to spin a little faster than others. Some people like to spin a little slower, but there is a point where, based on your load and your gearing on your bike and the conditions, the headwinds and what have you, where you're going to find the most comfortable gear, right? 
And I just mentioned yeah, that for people who haven't biked, I've seen a lot of people when they first start, they just go as hard as they can and then they stop and try to catch their breath. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not going to yeah. help you. Right. Pacing. Yeah. Yeah. Pacing is really important, especially if you're loaded down and especially if you have a long way ahead of you. You know, I mean, I, people ask me, well, how long are these tours and each day, how long is your ride? And, and some people are used to riding a hundred miles a day, but I wouldn't suggest that on a, on a touring situation. I would, I plan to ride basically from nine to five. Um, if I'm near a town or a city, I don't want to ride during rush hour. So I try to figure out when I'm going to start and stop based on the, the traffic in towns. But between that nine and five, I might only go 40 or 50 miles. I want to stop and have a really nice lunch. You know, I want to check out that little side road that looked really good. So the pace is almost, you know, you want it to be consistent so you can get down the road, but you also want to um, give yourself enough time, you know, be fast enough that you giving yourself enough time to for those detours and stops when you when you want them. Right. Yeah. Hey, friends, it's really been fun the last couple of weeks watching the early season snow start to blanket the high peaks. Winter is on the way. Bentgate Mountaineering is ready to help get you prepared for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes. And they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear as well as to get updates on all of their events. Well, Bill, how did you get started cycling? You've uh, you said you started back in the '80s. That's a while back. What was it that turned you onto the sport? Well, I had a banana bike when I was a kid um, in the '70s, but uh, I didn't really count that. I mean, I started I started um, cycling recreationally in Seattle when I moved here in '85. Um, I grew up in North Dakota, very windy, <laughs> well, on the farm, um, not a lot of places to bike, um, but uh, when I moved here, I realized you could bike almost year round here. And I, I had a job downtown. I've never liked driving, uh, commute for a commute. So I started cycling for commuting and, uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife really wanted to do recreational cycling. Uh, she actually bought me my first bike in Seattle. I hadn't brought a bike with me when mm. I moved out 
after college. And uh, she said, I want to do some biking. Here's a bike, <laughs> which is great. Um, and uh, so between, you know, recreation, being with her and commuting, that was pretty much my my first 10 years of, of biking. And then I got into the bike club and we have a good time in our, our bike club here. It's fun. It really is. So I've often said on the Adventure Sports Podcast that if you find your adventure sport, you'll probably also find a community. And it sounds like that's oh, yeah. what you're mentioning. Oh, yeah. The Cascade Bicycle Club is the biggest bike club in the nation, 15,000 members. Wow. And we have, we lead free, we have a free daily rides thing, which is what I lead. Um, we don't charge for our rides. You don't even have to sign up in advance if you don't want to. You can just show up. And then we ride. People post, we have a, about 500 ride leaders. And you post the ride you're going to do, and then you have people sign a waiver when they show up, and then you go out riding. Um, but we also put on these big events. Uh, we have a, the biggest one is called the STP, Seattle to Portland. It's two days, 204 miles, something like that. So it's 100 miles a day, and um, 10,000 people ride it every year. Nice. That's in fantastic. Mid-July. Mid so it takes a lot of volunteers and ride leaders, and they have a Cascade has a big staff, too, that put, put on events like that. We have a lot of cycling events. Uh, we have a, an urban microbrew beer tour around Seattle, too. <laughs> but you got to really be careful with. <laughs> right, I can imagine. You're going from a couple of beers to two wheels in traffic, I'm not so sure. Just tasters, you know, just tasters. Just tasters, awesome. And then they have a nice party at the end in the in one of the one of the breweries, one of the bike themed breweries around here. <laughs> well, if someone took up uh, bike touring for the first time, what do you think they might find surprising? Maybe how much they like it. <laughs> um, maybe how how little you need in the end, you know. Uh, one of the super common things is for people to be out a week uh, doing the doing the bike camping and stuff and heading down the road. And then inevitably they they find a UPS shop or a, a post office and they ma mail a bunch of stuff home <laughs> because they've loaded up too heavily and they get out there and they realize, you know, I really didn't need that. Right. And I'm going to send that home. I don't need a pair of hiking boots with me when I'm out doing this because that's not what this is about, you know, and that's just overkill. So you might find that you need less than than you expect when you go out. It's very common and, and it's easy to mail stuff home, get a big box and <laughs> load it up. Right. You know, a lot of people, when they start biking, they they deal with getting their body used to it, right? And having a sore bum from sitting and bouncing on that seat all day has got to be one of the hardest things to overcome. Any tips for how to manage that? Yeah, that is certainly for uh, beginners. Or even if you've been a cyclist around town and you start doing these long haul things, day after day after day, you will notice that right away. And um a really well-fitted bike can minimize that a lot. You know, if your weight is balanced on the bike and you're not straining 
to break or shift or or reach your water bottle and things like that, your aches and pains will be a lot less. If you have a really good anatomical bike seat that they're different for men and women, um, then you're going to have a lot less of the saddle sore situation. And if you use padded shorts, um, they have a um, product called chamois butter or um, some non-chafing. It's like a deodorant stick that you can use for to prevent chafing um, when you get hot and sweaty. If you use those things, you can minimize it. And after about a week or so, you, your skin gets kind of toughened up, and then you don't notice it so much. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's important. I mean, I, I think that yes. that's probably oh, the is. biggest hurdle to overcome for so many people. It's like, I can't sit on that seat again. It's painful. It can be painful. And you, you really have to resolve that or you won't be enjoying it. Um, some people will take a day off a few days into their ride and and sort of heal up and then get back on. Sure. But really, the uh, a, a well-fitted bike with a good saddle are the most important things. And you can go to a bike, a good bike shop will, will sell you a saddle and let you try it out. And if it doesn't work for you, you can trade it back in and get a different one. So you could try three or four different seats, um, from a really good quality bike shop. And they're totally behind you on that idea. No pun intended. Um, but it did kind of work out, (laughs) uh, you know, to make sure that you're comfortable on your bike because they would lose a customer otherwise. You know? Sure, so, sure. So there's some, there's some ways to get around that problem. Well, hey, we were talking earlier quite a bit about cycling the Pacific Coast, and that's your new book. But you also have a book, which is Biking Puget Sound. So more details about biking specifically in the Pacific Northwest. Tell us about that one. Oh, yeah. I, I would invite everyone to come to Seattle and look up my book and take a bunch of rides in it. Uh, they can they can uh, contact me at bikingputedsound.com and I'll even meet them for coffee. I know all the right best on. coffee shops. Um, <laughs> it is 60 rides around uh, Seattle and the nine counties around us. And um, it's in its second edition. Um, the 60 rides include about a third urban rides, so... It, how to get around Seattle without too much, um, without the extreme levels of traffic or uh, too much risk, the, the safest routes around the city. And then a third out in the suburbs and smaller towns around our region. And then a third of them are rural rides. Um, I've got rides on the San Juan Islands. So you could take a like a five-day bike trip just rent some bikes, go to the San Juan Islands, bike around the islands, a different island each day, and uh, and come back and have a, a nice five-day vacation out there. Mm, that um, sounds delightful. Wow. We, ha- we have all these ferries, you know, Washington State ferries that link our communities across Puget Sound and across the Hood Canal and out into uh, the Strait of Juan de Fuca, out going out toward the ocean. So I... I worked in this book to connect all the ferries with rides. So you could take a ferry somewhere, bike to the next ferry, and take that ferry back. So you can make loops out of all of these rides and and, uh, really see the region um, 
if you're a fan of the movie of the of the TV series Twin Peaks, I have a ride that goes up to to the place where they filmed Twin Peaks at Snoqualmie Falls. And you can even go by the the diner where uh, Agent Cooper has his cherry pie. <laughs> <laughs> That's you great. can have cherry pie there if you want. I, I prefer the local roastery coffee shop across the road that has a uh, really good bakery along with it. Oh, that's fun. So that, you've just given me so many ideas for vacations, and it's an exciting yeah. idea. I love the Pacific Northwest. I've been up there many, many times, and it's never failed to provide us with wonderful experiences, and it's just a delightful place. So now to have a cycling book about it, that's cool. Yeah, well, you know, uh, August and September are the ideal times. If you're going to come and visit and and have a little bike trip um, up here. Those are the best times for Washington. Um, the weather is warmest, sun is shining, very little rain. For the Oregon coast, um, September is great as far as lack of fog. Um, it's cooler on the coast, but that's the sort of warmest, driest, and least foggy time on the Oregon coast. Right, right. Well, the the weather up there in August is not actually that hot either. That's something else that's nice about it. That's when you get the best weather, but it's not miserable. No, it's maybe, <clears throat> you know, 80 degrees, low humidity, uh, very little rain here in the summer. So um, you don't have to pack your rain gear for summer riding. But yeah, compared to a lot of places in the country, it's uh, cooler and much more comfortable for outdoor activities. Sure. Well, that's great. So the two books are Cycling the Pacific Coast, The Complete Guide from Canada to Mexico. Yes, sir. And the second book is Biking Puget Sound, 60 Rides from Olympia to the San Juans, both, of course, by Bill Thornness. And, Bill, thank you for taking the time to put these guides together. That's really cool. Kurt, oh, Kurt, thank you. It's been fun chatting with you. Yeah, and uh, for all of our listeners out there, you know, maybe this is your sport. You know, bike touring is pretty darn awesome. So until the next show, give it a try, get out there, and have some fun. Coming up on Monday, we've got Ali France on the show. He took a four-month journey by multiple means from Hong Kong to Istanbul along the spine of Asia. Hey, before you run off, why don't you join our Facebook group for the Adventure Sports Podcast? Just look it up. You can chime in on other people's adventures and post your own. And consider helping to support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. There's a link at the top right-hand corner of our site as well. Now until the next episode, get out and have some fun.